The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Welcome back to Flourish and Fulfilled. This week's episode is one that I'm really excited about because today's guest is actually the reason that I got into NLP. And admittedly at the time, the suggestion felt more like an attack on me, but I later found out that it'd be the most valuable modality that I added to my coaching skill set and was certainly the missing piece to like the health and fitness world and industry and in regards to how people were self-sabotaging themselves and their health and fitness journey. The other funny fact to this is that you actually named my brand Flourish and Fulfilled without even knowing it. And you later found out like six months. Um, So that's really cool. So with that, welcome Blake Royal Thompson to Flourish and Fulfilled. Thanks for having me, Soph. Now, you have been a guest on numerous IG Lives and um, IGTVs and stuff on my Instagram. So I'm assuming that most people that are listening today would have seen or heard you on my Instagram previously. But for those that don't know you, do you want to give us a little bit of a background in regards to who you are, uh, what got you to this point um, and how you personally found NLP and how it's changed your life since studying it? Um, Yes, I was a real... I guess basic background is I, like you, had a long time in the industry, in the fitness industry, about 14 to 15 years, I think it was. And in the last couple of years of that, I realized that I wanted to have a bigger impact than sets, reps, steamed broccoli and boiled chicken. <laughs> Delicious. Muscles. <laughs> um, but also wanted to understand myself better. And that's when I kind of studied NLP and when like you, when you go and study it, you realize how little awareness most of us have of self, which is for me the cornerstone of transformation. If you don't have like real heightened awareness, transformations are going to be slow and you'll repeat the same patterns, which most people do. So to study that then gave me a really good foundation of everything that I've kind of gone on to study since then and use for coaching as well. Yeah, awesome. I absolutely love NLP because I think for me, I went into that being so ego led and it just put me on my ass really quick. Well, you weren't <laughs> that excited to go into it initially. No. Because of your thoughts around why I nudged you in that direction. Yeah, it was. It felt like an attack at the time, but definitely <laughs> as later turned out to be a massive blessing. Now, the way that I kind of like to start each guest on the podcast is asking some fire questions. So the first thing that comes to mind is what I want you to kind of say, wherever that leads us, leads us. Right. They might start off a little bit um, tame, but yeah, go wherever you want with these. What is your favourite food? Chicken wings. What is your alter ego name? Boris. Sunset or sunrise? Sunset. What's your favourite swear word? <laughs> Why is everyone, everyone's so immature with this? Well, I'll go with fuck for, for safety reasons. Where were you going to go? C-U-N-T. C-U-N-T. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that's my favourite word. I've oh, no, yeah, said it numerous times. Yeah. Uh, what's your weird quirk? Um, I iron my gym gear. Why? Everyone asks the same question. I just feel like it's important to show up presentable. At the gym. At the gym. Yep. No one else have I ever met. Because you get up fairly it. early <laughs> to do that too. Why? Why? I don't know. I actually don't iron other stuff. No, you don't iron shirts. I don't. I think it might come back to a value thing. You take the most care in what you value the highest. Yeah, and health and fitness for you is very, very high. Yeah. Do you have a hidden talent? No. Sure. 
I reckon. Okay. Yep. What's your most used <laughs> emoji? Fire. What is the worst word in the English dictionary? Well, it's probably the word that I use the most as well. I'd say C-U-N-T is probably the worst word. Is that even in the dictionary? I don't think it would be. I know. Yeah, probably not. Okay. Would you rather have dicks as fingers or a dick as a nose? And this is such an important one. Dick as a nose? <sighs> I reckon you're the first person to ever really? say that. Yeah. Because I'm not going to use my nose as much as I'll use my hands. But you'd have a dick on your face. Yeah. It's not ideal, but neither, <laughs> neither option is, really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. What's the best dream that you've ever had? There's been some good sex dreams, but um, probably to be honest, like the one moving to Byron was like a good one for me. What is the most out there experience that you have ever had? You're fully aware that I've had a fair few. <laughs> I've had a spiritual massage, which is called Don't a ringer. Don't call it that. So it's, <laughs> it's the male version of a Yoni massage. Well, they all know about Yonis. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so I've had that, which was pretty out there. As Did you come during that? I've had a few, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no. From the same chick? <laughs> no, a couple of different ones. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> definitely not as glorious as it sounds. Yeah, see, do you know what? Got, he got fed strawberries before it. Yeah, he did too. Yeah. I didn't she, get any of that What do you treatment. mean? How did that actually – can you just talk us through this very quick because this is not what today's episode well, is about. So for me, I think – I want to try – firstly, I want to try everything once. Absolutely everything. You went back a few times there, babe. All right. That's well, not a one well, thing. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> the first time was an experiment, but the second time for me, I want to try all types of healing modalities as well. Not only that, but I think as a coach, I should try everything before a yeah. client tries it. Yeah. So I thought I'd give it what three did, attempts. Yeah, no, and I'm not judging because I definitely did the Yoni mapping a few times. <laughs> and I'm actually, she's coming on the third, so I'm, I'm still going through that. However, um, how, like, what did you get out of that? How did you feel it? It, for me, it was a very um, grounding experience. And I actually realised that I had a lot of shame around my sexuality, which often isn't, I don't think, publicly spoken around, like, blokes and their shame around sexuality. Especially heterosexual males. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 100%. Yeah, true. And how point. do you, f- yeah. And how do you feel after having that? Do you feel like that was released or did you do what Genoa did about not orgasming I, the 30 I've days? I've done that as well. Did you make the 30 days? Yeah. You seem surprised. Because <laughs> he didn't. He got to day 27 and kept That's having right. wet jeans and coming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what an opening. All right, guys. Um, moving on. Um, the last time you cried. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quickly. Uh, this morning. What was your first concert? Can't remember my first, but Robbie Williams stands out. All right, don't give me that. I'm look. not judging. I was <laughs> not was judging. A judgment I really pride myself on not being judgmental here. <laughs> Do you have a favourite quote that you live by? Life will throw you people and circumstances to show you where you're not free. Yeah, goody. Mm. Really good. Yeah. It's always, Big. yeah, always um, in people, your shadow, yep. the mirror. Oh, shadow. Beautiful Love work. that for us. All right, let's get deeper into today's episode. Now, you're currently working as a full-time coach utilising NLP. Mm. So let's get started on what NLP actually is. Yep. So firstly, most people struggle to get their head around even saying it, neuro-linguistic programming. But to really simplify it, it's the language of the mind and how that shows up in your patterning and programming. And until you really understand that you are heavily 
patterned and programmed and conditioned and got limitations, your transformations are going to be slow. Mm. And that's, you know, in part or a big part because of, you know, the majority of who you are, 95% is unconscious. So until you bring that to light, like you're, you're literally autopilot and playing out um, life pretty much the same as the day before and what's going to come up tomorrow as well. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. So just quickly, neuro is the nervous system. Yep. Linguistic is language and programming is the ability to discover and utilize the communication models mm. we have within ourselves. Yeah. Now you talk about the importance of truly listening when it comes to coaching. Why is that such a big, important part of coaching and how does that tie into NLP? Mm. So when you really listen and I don't think that many people listen that well, but you can clearly identify people's limitations, blind spots, barriers, limiting beliefs through their language. And the challenge for most people is they can't identify their own limitations because that is their quote unquote reality. So when you're speaking, you're not necessarily listening to the words that you're saying, or if you are, you're hell bent on that being your reality. So a good coach will listen with intent to um, listen for those blocks, listen for those limitations and ways in which people have been programmed and conditioned, which we all have. Um, but through that active listening, you really start to kind of see beyond what you're seeing. You know, to, dice, to dissect yeah. it instead of just respond. Yep. I often find that quite challenging, especially with podcasting mm. in here, because I have to listen to respond. Whereas um, I think in Australia, I actually, have you read the book, You're Not Listening? You know that stat? In Japan, a pause is um, like, it's not considered rude up to about 15 seconds. But in Australia, it is only three seconds considered rude before you respond or slow. So if you would have asked me a question and I sat in silence, in Japan, it's very common because they process, they think about what they're going to say and they consciously respond. And it's got all of the different stats for all of the countries and mm. their response time of what's actually considered rude. And in Australia, we're like three seconds. Do you know how many people like with social anxiety would freak the fuck out me. if there was, <laughs> if there was yes. 15 seconds of silence? I'd be like, hey, can you hear me? <laughs> ha ha hello? <laughs> I ask seven questions. And <laughs> you do. We talk over the top of each other all the time. Um, but the book, uh, You're Not Listening, is a all really, right. really good book in relation to that. A lot of NLP has to do with the subconscious. What is the subconscious and how does that impact our lives? Yeah. So to simplify it, we're somewhere between 5 and 10% conscious and 90 and 95% unconscious. So while we kind of move around day to day, the reality is that most of us on autopilot and just kind of running the same patterning, the same programming below the surface that we have for most of our life. So where that's working for you, great, don't touch it. But the role of a coach is to be able to identify the parts of that subconscious that aren't necessarily working for you. So to give you a real basic example, we wouldn't be able to function without subconscious. If we had to do everything consciously, brush our teeth, do our hair, drive the car, it wouldn't work. So to really simplify it, the unconscious and that part of us that is, is autopilot is super necessary. So for example, let's say you're driving a car, as we were, you, well, that is all on subconscious. You could get from, you know, you could drive from Gold Coast to Noosa 
and someone asks you when you get there, how was it? And you're like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like you were banging out your R&B, your rap, and have no idea how you got there. So that's why it's necessary that you have that part. But, yeah, the big part is that that is actually running the show. We like to think we're running the show, but the subconscious is. Yeah. And in regards to the NLP factor of the subconscious is that it all comes back to our core values and understanding what they are. And I feel like that was probably one of my biggest take homes was understanding and uncovering that freedom is no matter what, whether I like it or not, is my highest core Mm. value. And when I was doing it, I did my course alongside Liv and she's known me since I was a baby. And when I said to her, like, because you have to work with different people Mm. within your um, cohort or intake and you can't work with your friends, you have to work with other people. So we'd reconvene and I was like, what? Freedom's my highest core value. And she's like, yeah, no shit. Mm. So the awareness factor for her to be able to analyse me was very easy for her to see, Mm. but for me it wasn't. But freedom kept coming up in Mm. every single scenario or timeline therapy exercise Mm. or everything. So two parts to that. One that's really interesting is for me what ties in really well with NLP is heightening someone's awareness. So thoughts, feelings, behaviours is a really simple way to start your awareness. The thing with awareness is there's two types. So you've got internal self-awareness, how we see ourselves, external self-awareness, how others see us. There's no correlation between the two, the research shows. So you can know yourself really well, but you've still got blind spots, barriers, and limiting beliefs Mm. that can't be objectively observing yourself. So when I read that, I was like, fuck, that makes heaps of sense because I've spent so much time on my own internal self-awareness, but I wouldn't have a clue how people externally see me. So that was like, that's super valuable for you. The second thing that's really valuable in the values piece is um, taking it a step further and going, okay, what does freedom look like? So for you and I, we've spoken about this before, freedom for you looks slightly different to me. Explain your freedom and then I'll explain mine. So my idea of freedom is being trapped or feeling isolated, Mm. restricted in any means. And that presents to me in everything. Mm. The way that I parent, the way that I live, the way that I run my business, the way that I am in a relationship, Mm. every single part of that, if I don't feel free, if I feel like I'm trapped, I will run. I don't care who it is. I don't care if I Mm. love them. I don't care how I feel. I will run. Yep. You do it well. (laughs) I do it often. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, freedom similar, I don't want to be disturbed during the day. Like freedom for me is let me work like hard and do what I want to do and focus and then we'll reconvene whether it's a partner, whether it's kind of even friends, like leave me alone during the day. So Mm. when someone's working out their core values, firstly, you know, one of the most mind-blowing polls that I have ever had on my Instagram was asking people, do they know their partner's core values, 4%. And I was like, what the fuck? Like this is a, this is a foundation of good relationships. So so one, work out what yours is, two, to be able to work out what your partner's is and then to define what it is. Cause we've just seen a perfect example Mm. of how freedom is so different Mm. in two different contexts as well. And also I think when we talk about core values as well is that most of the time I know that for me, when I went into NLP and I, I believe you would have asked me this is, what is your core value? And I would have said like family, 100% I would have said family. Mm. And that's a massive social construct because I've got kids. Mm. It has to be family. Like I am 100% there, my number one, that's what I do. Mm. Whereas my unconscious and my subconscious is actually freedom. Doesn't mean I love my kids any less. Doesn't mean that they're not high in my importance or priority. However, it was an unconscious. Mm. When I do values and it's one of the first exercises I do with a new client, Mm. 
they're very quick to um, write out their ideal values. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool, but how are you actually showing up? Because that's telling me the true story. Mm. And one of the best ways that can like often scare people is, you know, they can say, oh, you know, health and fitness is number one. I was like, cool, give me your last three months um, bank yeah. statements. Yeah. And I'll go, okay, you think, you know, health and fitness is, but here it is, you're spending $40 a week on that and you're spending $120 on booze or shit food or whatever it may be. So often people will interpret values as their ideal and, and want to show up that one, mm. but how they're actually showing up is a true representation of what is their core values. 100%. And just back on what you were talking about in regards to um, your internal representation mm. and then getting that external uh, and having that relate back to NLP, a really big one that you do really well is in regards to receiving feedback. Mm. Situation and event happens, receive feedback, don't mm. take it on as a negative, take it on, there's no failure, there's only feedback. Yep. Really, really, really important. Uh, And in regards to core values with couples and coaching, so you'd mentioned that a the first exercise that you would do in coaching Mm. is to figure out what somebody's core values are. Mm. How does that present when you're coaching perhaps a person that's having issues in a relationship? How do they work out each other's core values? So, one of the one of the problems in relationships when it comes to core values is most people are very quick to project their core values onto someone else. Mm and expect them to live in alignment with that. Mm. So a real simple example would be, let's say, actually, this is a good example. Mm, mm. Let's say you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert. (laughs) (laughs) I fully thought he was going with some people we know and her core values and his core values are totally misaligned. But great, let's Let's stick with ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert. Yes. And your number, you know, and your number one value might be growth and mine is connection. Mm -hmm. It'd be easy for you to project yours onto me Mm -hmm. and say, well, how about you stay in Friday night and let's pull out the Kindles and read those. Mm -hmm. And it'd be easy for me to go, well, you should probably come out more and get out of the house more. That's an easy way that we project as Mm -hmm. opposed to going, cool, I understand your values. How about I can support you in your values? Have an idea because I know that fills your cup. Yeah. You know, obviously the more aligned you are to your values, the more your cup's going to be full. And here's what's important to me and why I'm going to go out and catch up with the boys. 100%. And that's so important Mm. to be able to communicate that because otherwise it can create that push pull as well. And in regards to your partner, perhaps not articulating that or expressing that can result in you feeling like they're going out with the boys. They Mm. don't care about me. X, Y, Z scenario plays out when in actual fact, it has nothing to do with that. So yeah, very, very important communication piece there. Agreed. One of the most fascinating things about the brain is the neuroplasticity and the essential, essentially how the brain can change itself, Mm. which is so important for people to have the belief in being able to change. Can you explain the wire and fire process and the importance of creating space between the stimulus and the response? Yeah. So this was only um, discovered, I want to say the 80s, I think neuroplasticity, but essentially exactly as it sounds, neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to kind of be malleable. And I guess the easiest way to almost think of it is almost like a highway analogy. So let's say you are have been doing something for 30 years. So cars have been going down the same highway for 30 years. It's a pretty strong highway. So if you imagine that in your brain, that's a strong neural pathway. When it comes to changing it, whether you're using NLP or some other different modalities, is you're essentially trying to create a new new pathway. So what that would look like is 
you essentially, you know, if you're doing light hypnosis or a form of NLP is you might create a new pathway, right? So if you've got a highway, coming back to the highway analogy, all of a sudden one car goes down that new highway, the better highway. Mm -hmm. And what we're essentially trying to do is get all the old, all the cars across to the new highway and create that as a new neural pathway. If you've ever looked at an old highway, it literally has cracks and weeds and that's what happens in terms of the neural pathway in your brain. So when it comes to wiring and firing, you'll often have a stimulus and a response. So the stimulus might be person, event, circumstance, and the response might be an, an emotional response. So you see person A, and the response is, um, you know, emotion B. What we're essentially trying to do, one is create the new pathway, but two, create a gap between the stimulus and the response because they are wired and fired together through essentially your brain being autopilot is we're just trying to create a little gap for you to choose your response. Mm. So the perfect analogy is learning to start to respond, don't react. React is that automatic Respond is stimulus, space, response. And in that process, you're bringing the unconscious into the conscious and starting to create new responses. Have you got an example of that in your life where you've created space? In regards to the um, the highway analogy, the other point that I'd like to make is that one car goes that way, mm. but it takes a while before all the other cars totally. go that yeah. way. So we can't expect that just seeing XYZ person mm. and we normally have that emotional response. It is a learnt pattern behaviour yep. that we have to continuously mm. work at. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So, so, so on that, exactly that is, you know, you can do – the um, NLP and you can have your session, but you need to strengthen that mm. highway. Mm -hmm. So there's a thing called myelin, which is essentially the sheath that runs around the um, new neural pathway. And we're trying to get the new one stronger than the old one. Mm. So if you imagine we've had a NLP session, and we've got, you know, two or three cars going down the new highway, it's still not the chosen highway mm. until we get all the cars across. And that's the repetition. That's the ability to stay consistent that's the ability to have grit and show up continuously each day while you're rewiring that part of the brain. Yeah. And in regards to the pause and response, I did an entire podcast episode about conscious parenting. Mm. And that is essentially what I always pull myself back to is pause, take a breath, respond, mm. don't react. Because if I react, it's like, oh, mum's psycho, watch out. Mm. So I make sure that I take that pause and actively consciously make a choice in how I'm going to respond to that situation. So no dummy spits anymore? No, I, I actually haven't had one for a while. Actually, that's a lie. Kai, about three weeks ago, copped the absolute brunt of it. Oh, he got it bad. Um, but he's been playing up a little bit lately. <laughs> so let, let's actually go into imprint years and parenting mm. a little bit more. Do you want to talk about imprint years and what they are? And yeah. Then I'll so for me, um, with a very interesting upbringing, similar to yourself, but very different, is I am fascinated by the imprint period. Mm. So the imprint period, for those that are new to the term, is essentially zero to seven. And, you know, the formative years, obviously your parents are the biggest impact in that period, but there's, you know, they're not the only ones. And that really forms somewhere between 80 and 95% of who you become until you realize that and start to choose differently and start mm. to unlearn, unprogram, recondition yourself otherwise. So it really is important. Um, and I know obviously this has been big for you and a big difference between your first two boys and the two girls to, um, consciously parents without putting pressure on parents mm. 
is, you know, to some degree making your kid's life down the track a lot easier or a lot harder if you can have that level of awareness around conscious parenting and the impact of the imprint period. Raising kids that don't need to be healed from their childhood, hey? Mm. Preach. No pressure. Please. No pressure. Please help the world. <laughs> um, it's it is quite an interesting topic, and I know that for me, after I learned about the imprint years, it was really important that both Nathan and I parented in a way mm. that we gave the girls the best possible choice to be able to be exactly who they are in the world and not have to. Um, heal from any trauma. Now that I've done a lot of trauma work, I'm well aware that there will still be trauma and trauma to one is simply an entire different experience because trauma actually is the process of how we um, internalize Mm. a situation. So if you were in a room and we both experienced the exact same situation, how you perceive that and Mm. how I perceive that, one of us could walk away with trauma, one of us could not. So I really want to articulate that there, that even if your child has a peachy, rosy, happy childhood, they may still walk away with traumatic events. Um, In regards to the girls, we made a very conscious effort that they only had eight people in their life for the first few years. And we were so big on that and they didn't go to childcare and they stayed at home and they were predominantly cared by myself, Nath, or their godmum, Nell. And they've never to date been left with anybody Mm. other than those us three people. And that was really important to us because we wanted to protect them and we knew how important their minds were at such a young age. And the way that that presents now with the boys versus the girls is the girls are super secure and they are just thriving at school and they are so happy and content. And there is no form of anxious attachment or um, avoidant attachment or anything. They're very secure in who they are now being aged six, which is really important for us. So we know that from the imprint years, it then goes into the socialization period as well. And there's so many factors that are out of our control after those first seven years. Now, the thing is, is that those first zero to seven years is when our fundamental core value systems are actually formed. And I know that for myself, being raised in the childhood that I was is that freedom is just like no shit. Of course, freedom is my highest Mm. core value. My entire childhood was very restrictive and that's not a surprise that freedom is my highest core value. When you look at yourself, does that present similar? It does. I mean, growth, mental health, you know, all the things that I love. Um, It's so obvious as to why I have chosen the path I have. And also, you know, one of the things to come back to trauma, just to kind of expand that a little bit, is a lot of people will think um, if I didn't have something significant happen in my life that I didn't have trauma. Or it's irrelevant. Yeah. But there's big T, Mass and Kip talks about big T and little T. So little trauma being, it could be something as simple as your mum being five minutes late mm. for, to pick you up at school. Evie. You're the last one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. You're the last one there. And that's a traumatic event. Mm. You know, not for us as fully grown adults, but mm. as a five-year-old whose whole life is relying on their parents mm. and they're, they're nowhere to be seen, that is super traumatic. So that's the first thing to be mindful of. And I think, you know, for me, a really big piece around the coaching that I do is helping people find fulfillment and obviously um, create more success in their life, whatever that means to them. And, and that can mean different things. And while I wouldn't wish um, anyone necessarily the upbringing that I had, what I would wish is that, you know, those potentially painful, peak, pivotal moments were super clear to them. And that that created their passion because I don't know if I would 
have the level of motivation, passion and drive that I do if it wasn't for a lot of dysfunctional upbringing. And that's literally like everything that I do on a daily basis is grounded in mainly painful moments, but a lot of like peak moments of my upbringing as well. And, and that's, you know, for me, when someone says, oh, I don't have motivation, I'm like, you, you just don't know yourself well There's enough no yet. Purpose, yeah. yeah. You don't know your purpose. You probably misaligned with your values. And when we can heighten your awareness and bring light to that, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to find your motivation as well. The other thing with motivation is ensuring that it's an internal motivation because external mm. factors only oh. last so long. Yeah, sorry. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> external factors only last so long and we see it so often within mm. the health and fitness industry that people's um, external factors are the motivator to get them in the gym. So mm. let's say they've had a bad breakup and their partner said that they were going – they went off with somebody that was skinnier mm. and they automatically took on that limiting belief that that was about them, had mm. nothing to do with them, but that's the belief that they actually mm. took on. And so that external factor is that their partner thought they weren't skinny enough. Mm. It's not an internal factor. So for me, my internal drivers to be able to be healthy and fit is that it's how I feel. Mm. And so I know how good it makes me feel, which is my motivation and driver. Yeah. So to take that a step further is um, your intrinsic versus extrinsic values. So an intrinsic mm. value, perfect example that you gave, is something that is internally driven and is really aligned to you. And extrinsic is you know, looking to get something from someone else, get attention, whatever it might be. So let's say, for example, you're down at Byron Bay and you're going for a surf. Is it because you love water, you love space, you love nature, you love sun, you love, you know, catching a wave and the thrill that comes with that? Or is it so you can post a photo after? You want to be on Byron Bay. Yeah, or you're trying to, you want to be on Byron <laughs> Bay. Or you're trying to impress someone in the water or, you know, you think if you walk down the main street of Byron Bay with your surfboard, you're going to get some traction. You're never going to feel that deep need that you're looking for from an extrinsic value. And to be fair, some of those actions, so for example, training can be both. So mm. it's more like, is it, where's it on the, on the scale? Is it 80% intrinsic, sweet, and 20% extrinsic? Well, I wouldn't mind finding someone to date. Or is it like, you know, 80% I'm hoping someone will love me when I'm fitter, stronger, like you're fucked if it's heavily on the extrinsic side. Um, when it comes to values. Mm, we see that very often in fitness competitions. Yeah, sure. Massively. Because you've got to remember mm. that fitness competitions, you get a $20 plastic trophy. So majority of the time, the reason that people are competing is for external factors. And so that's what I always ask. If somebody wants to compete, I am so there for it. Like mm. I loved it. I loved the whole experience and the journey of it, but I didn't do that for anyone else. Mm. I did that to see how far I could push myself. Yeah. And so as long as it is always an internal that is driving you, that is amazing. If it's an external factor or you believe you're going to get fame, followers, a business, whatever that might actually look like, then it's probably not right for yeah. you because you'll never have that deep motivation as to what it requires to get you there. Spot on. And when it comes to core values and your belief system, so do you want to go a little bit further in regards to limiting beliefs, discovering what our core values are and how that actually forms our fundamental belief systems and how that presents, this is like one of those six-part questions mm. that I do, uh, how that actually presents in adulthood from mm. our beliefs that we have formed in our imprint years. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to start on that? Can you write that down for me one more time? What is a limiting belief? Okay. Let's start there. What is Let's a limiting go belief? very like. What is a limiting belief? Well, 
I mean, simply put, it's a belief that has limitations on it. And to take that a step further, there's some amazing research that talks about even if you had the most conscious parents as part of your upbringing, Mm. so the twin girls, Mm -hmm. God bless, um, (laughs) you'll only still be 40 to 50% um, of your beliefs, habits, patterns that really serve you. Mm. So that's really conscious parenting. So what that means is that of the, um, you know, 95% of unconscious that we spoke of before, there is a shitload that isn't working for us. Mm. The challenge is that how do we know that it's a limiting belief? Because it's our belief system. Mm. So, you know, one of the things that I will often get people to do is just loosen their grip on what they believe to be true. Because what's really important with your belief system, and this is where a lot of people get fucked, is you've got what's called a reticular activating system and a thing called confirmation bias, Mm. where you will always seek out evidence that supports your current belief system. Want to believe that relationships are hard? You'll find evidence. Want to believe money's hard to make? You'll find evidence, all right? And at the same time, there's evidence to support the opposite. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, that you believe that running is bad for you. You'll find that one person who does city to surf who breaks their ankle, has a heart attack, rolls, you know, dislocates their knee. And in the same year, 96,500 people completed the event and we're absolutely fine. Mm. So it can be really challenging. It's where you really need to kind of loosen your grip, but also as simple as as this sounds, but also really challenging, you get to choose your beliefs. Mm. Like that sounds simple, but most people really struggle to grasp that as a concept. You get to choose your beliefs because all that happens then is you start looking for evidence to support your new way of thinking. Mm. Again, you know, I'm sure... A lot of people, relationships are hard. Cool. Yeah, there's heaps of them. And I've seen so many that are amazing and beautiful at the same time. There's always evidence. And when we reaffirm that to ourselves, we're essentially setting up our entire belief system. Mm. So let's say we have an argument with our partner and we're like, relationships are fucked. This is so hard. Everything's fucked. You have just reaffirmed Mm. that exact belief that we're trying to get rid of or choose a different pathway. Mm. I did want to point out here that one of my favourite things that – or favorite terms, I guess, that you took away from NLP was replacing the term but and replacing it with and. Mm. Do you want to go a little bit deeper in regards to that and what it actually does and how language matters? Yeah. So if you um, play it out, one of the, the simple things to do is that you often discount what you said before if you use but. So you are giving an analogy in regards to is running bad for you? Mm. Uh, And you were saying that somebody had broken their ankle and had a heart attack. Mm. And then you went on and said, and you didn't say, but. However, I personally like this best Mm. used when I'm speaking. And instead of discrediting what I have said, you say, and. So you add to my conversation Mm. instead of saying, but because then if you say but, it discredits what I have yep. actually said. Yep. You just add your opinion to yeah. it. So that, that that's a perfect example because I would be <laughs> discounting those that believe running is bad mm-hmm. if I said but. Mm-hmm. So it's taking into account what they said mm. and providing them with more choices. Mm. And that's a big part. That comes back to kind of what we said around limiting beliefs is 
one of the roles of a good coach is to give people more choices. Mm. There's a lot of power in one, being flexible in your approach and not mm-hmm. being not holding on too tight and two, being able to see more options mm. and have more choices. So if you're having a conversation with a client that you can see that has three or four limiting beliefs mm. in one scenario that they've played out, how will you give them the awareness or do you, do you just go back direct and say these are the limiting beliefs that you're currently holding? So I'll generally, from a place of empathy as best I can, <laughs> And often a place of curiosity asks them to, um, because the thing with a lot of people that I explained at the start is they won't realise what they've just said. Mm, mm. So I bring them back to it and um, stay curious and get them to um, talk through that. And as most of my clients now know, as soon as I bring them up on something, they're like, fuck, okay, I've got a limitation there. So again, you know, even with you and and having done it, um, what, 18 months ago now? Two years, Two years. Your ability to listen intently to what someone's saying will be completely different to the majority of people who respectfully aren't really that present and aren't really listening to that language. And if you look at it and you break down listening, most people are listening with the intent to speak, give their opinion, make judgment, whatever it might be. Very few people listening with the intent to understand Mm. very few people Mm. and that in itself is an amazing skill even as a coach if the only thing you ever did was have people feel seen heard and understood you're a brilliant coach Mm. because that that's a very rare skill and i think you know you can probably attest to this and, and anyone that's listening like if you've got one person in your life who can make you feel seen heard understood that is amazing in itself. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people don't. Mm. In regards to the listening with empathy, there is, and I mentioned this earlier, that there is a book called What Happened to You. Mm. And essentially when somebody is telling you something, that is the answer, that is the question that you should be asking yourself, what happened to you, rather than judging them or throwing some sort of projection. And that really changes the game for that. Well, th- for me, that is... I mean, at times I can be, you know, a little bit savage. Um, we both at can. times we both can. <laughs> but what does soften me is curiosity. Because if I stay open to understanding that what everyone, what people do, everything pe- someone does stems from somewhere, mm, mm. then I'm less likely to move into judgment and I'm more likely to move into curiosity of like, I wonder why they do that on social media. I wonder why they do it in, their, in that relationship. And When you get to the root cause from a curious place, generally it's only empathy and compassion that you've got because you're like, oh, you know, it's a six-year-old version of you who's Mm. showing up this way or, Mm. you know, you're traumatised here or whatever it might be. And that is, for me, such an easy place to be empathetic and compassion from. Mm. 100%. One of my favourite teachings with the NLP course that I did was learning some of the submodalities of changing, like, for example, like mm. to dislike. That was such an eye-opener for mm. me. And I'll walk you through for the listeners at home. If perhaps you have somebody that is an emotional eater that is craving chocolate, you can replace the taste of chocolate with something that they really strongly dislike, mm. like rotten eggs. And it's so fascinating and incredible to sit there and watch someone like we had them on the stage of volunteers that wanted to go up and replacing that of a, I think it was a Tim Tam with rotten eggs. And she literally started gagging on stage. And it just goes to show the power of the mind 
Do you have any crazy stories or any coaching that you do with clients that you've seen like amazing things like that happen? Mm. So one of the, um, I assume for most people, one of the most frustrating things is self-sabotage. Oh yeah. And a lot of people don't realise quite the extent of their self-sabotage, albeit some people do. <laughs> we, we might, we just continue it. <laughs> and we continue. So one of the um, really interesting ones actually in the health and fitness space was I was working with a client at that time mm. with NLP and still in the fitness space. And, you know, for her, she wants to lose the last five kilos and um, that was one of her goals. And three times in a six-month period, she fucked up. Mm. She got sick once, she got injured and she just had a massive blowout. Mm. Now, if you stay on the surface level, you'd just be like, oh, poor girl, that's bad luck. Mm. I was like, three times in six months, that's not bad luck. So we unpacked it and what had essentially happened was the last time she was her fittest and leanest, she got glandular fever after. So what the brain does, and we need to keep coming back to this, the brain's always looking out for the best for you, even though at times it can be really hard to see how that's possible. But the brain has essentially, coming back to my wire and fire, the brain has essentially wired and fired you being super lean with you getting sick. And it's like, mm. well, fuck, we don't want you to get sick. So we're going to find ways to sabotage you before you get to quote unquote lean. Mm. So there's stories like that that are happening all the time. Another really um, common one is people will get to a financial position. You know, they might have $10,000 in their account, 50000 100 And every time they go just above it, something miraculously comes out, the car breaks down, shit goes wrong and they find themselves dipping under and they just can't break it. Mm. So if you find yourself with a repeat pattern, whether it's trying to lose the last five kilos and then putting it on, trying to, um, you know, get past a certain figure financially, even a common one in relationships, fuck, everything's going smoothly. What can I do to fuck it up? Mm, 100%. Just, yeah. Mm. Because if there's a deep belief that you're not worthy of happiness, whatever it might be, then you could go two months of it just being perfect. And you're like, mm, on an unconscious level, mm. generally not conscious, what can I do to create just a fucking stupid argument? Mm. Bang, you find mm -hmm. a way to stuff it up. So this is the stuff that's happening for everyone. I'd almost say on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, that's happening well below the surface that for a lot of people they um, don't see. Yeah, 100%. Now, in regards to the communication model, um, it's such a powerful one. Mm -hmm. And I essentially want to unpack this just mm -hmm. as our final little summarisation mm -hmm. for NLP. And in regards to our brain and how we process information is I have like a little figure in front of mm -hmm. me that I'm going to talk you guys through and I'll post into our group with the social content. And every single uh, information that we absorb or conversation we have, we either delete, distort or generalise. Mm. And then you've got to imagine that our brains are like a library of books that we unpack from all of our belief systems and values and imprint years and childhood trauma and language and memories. And it's all coming back into what we're projecting out. And so within our internal representation, it always goes externally to our behaviour. Do you want to add anything on that? Nah, it's great. Is <laughs> that good? You described it really well. Okay. So the entire NLP model of communication is essentially mm. the event happens. The way that we process and filter that information is due to the entire library of memories and everything that's happened behind us to then create our belief system and project as behavior. Yeah. I just wanted to really be clear with it. that. You if you guys saw me, my, my hands were flailing around there. Now, if anybody at home is currently listening and considering doing both 
coaching, how do they get in touch with you? What do they, like, where do they go? Tell me everything in regards to what you offer for coaching and the NLP modalities that you bring to that. So, um, firstly, the best thing to do with coaching is make sure someone's super aligned. A hundred percent. I literally was drinking a sip of water. I nearly spat everywhere. <laughs> but for me that, like, because one of the things we can do is we're almost in that reactive place mm. where we just like, you know, Help me. Yeah, yeah. So one of the best things I think, no matter what coach you go and work with, is just like watch their stuff, take it in and make sure they're a good fit. Mm. So social media for me is a great option. And if that is of interest, come and suss out my stuff on social media. And then for me, um, it really depends on the individual. And, you know, I think for most people and where I go with most people is like a four month deep dive intensive where we really get to the core of who they are. Mm. Because you've got to remember like the way that we show up today is so limiting in so many ways. We've been conditioned, programmed, you know, limiting beliefs. So for me, it's really about getting to the core of some where someone's at mm. and then building their world from there. Mm. So, you know, stripping away all the limitations that we've got and every single one of us has them. Yeah, a hundred percent, and a lot of them. Mm. So um, that four month intensive is a is a deep process, and as a result, you have a deep understanding of yourself. And for me, that's the cornerstone of a fulfilling and successful life. Because you know, we look at all the medications and shit that everyone's on. Cool, maybe they've got their, their place as well. And most people don't know themselves very well at all. So if you're looking at why you're not having you know quote unquote success in whatever area that's important to you, or you don't have you know, a fulfilling life, I can guarantee that as we deepen your sense of awareness and move all the shit out of the way and you get to the core of who you are, those things will, will come as a byproduct. I know how amazing NLP has been for myself and I imagine that you would feel the exact same. If somebody listening at home was considering becoming an NLP practitioner, what advice would you give? It's a no-brainer, mm. I reckon, for me. And even if you don't use it, mm. to have a deep understanding for self... Yeah. So, sorry, when I say don't use it, you don't become a coach. Coach, or financial gain. Or, yeah, yeah, even if you just use it as a deep understanding of self, I think everyone should do it. And, you know, for me, I look even at the landscape over the last two years and the people that have done the work mm. are the ones that have, like, for me, in my world at least, have been able to manage that situation better than the others because, you know, whether it's NLP or doing deep work, mm. they just know how to manage themselves, their perspective, their beliefs, you know, their emotions, everything as well. So I think everyone should do it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And as I always end every single episode, I have like a bookworm. So okay. a suggested book. Now you are very similar to me in regards to reading. Do you have a favourite book of all time or one that you suggest that is specific to this episode mm. or five? I've got 74, but <laughs> I'll just go with one. I think everyone should read Lost Connections for me. It's so insightful. It's been it's been recommended so many times. Really? And I even do it as well a lot yeah. on this potty. Do yeah. you want to give one more? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, one, that, one that I read recently um, and more tailored to females, which I assume is um, mm. a big part of your crowd, mm -hmm. is a book by a lady called Dr. Shafali um, and a book called A Radical Awakening, which really, for me, was brilliant mm. in terms of understanding, at least from the feminine's point of view, how conditioned we are in different um, avenues and 
that really, you know, if you're starting to do the work, that will have you with, you know, your eyes wide open as mm. a result of it. And then the transformation starts there. Yeah. Amazing. My book for this week is actually relevant to the episode rather than a bookworm. And it is the Timeline Therapy by Tad James mm. and Wyatt Woodsmall. Now that book there is the book that I'm always banging on about. I'm actually not sure if it's available to the general public because it was one of our uh, workbooks that was given during my course intake. And that teaches everything about imprint years and the value hierarchy mm. and core value system, which then in turn creates our internal beliefs. So such a good read to be able to have at home. All right, guys, thank you, Blake, for joining us. And as always, what I will do is post all of those social notes that we mentioned in today's episode on our closed Facebook group, which is just Flourish and Fulfilled Community or on Instagram, Flourish and Fulfilled. Have a great week, guys.